From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. According to one journalist, the Biden administration has done more harm to the Second Amendment than all previous administrations combined. Are there ways to fix the damage? What's up with all those crazy mass murder statistics you see in the news stories these days? Where do they come from? And who's behind them? And why is the media gaslighting Americans on guns and violence? Why are they blaming horrific crimes on gun makers instead of criminals? That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Lee Williams, Chief Editor of the Second Amendment Foundation's Investigative Journalism Project and Board Member of Florida Carey. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dean. It's good to be back. Well, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. How did you spend your holiday, Lee? Oh, very uh, nicely here in Sarasota on the beach. We have beautiful weather, and this is the place to be for holidays. I'm done with snow growing up in northern Minnesota. I am done with snow, my friend. Well, I was hoping we would have a little in an area area we did not. I sort of like a little bit of snow, you know, around the holidays. It just feels more Christmassy that way. Yeah, my dad didn't either. He's Like I said, he's up in northern Minnesota. They had a brown Christmas. Well, Lee, on our last podcast, Rob Sexton and I had a little fun at your expense because you were originally scheduled to be on that podcast. But you bowed out and you told me you had been invited to spend the day on the golf on a boat and not just any boat, but you specified it was a 42-foot boat. So uh, I guess you wanted me to know that it wasn't some crappy 20 or 30-foot boat, that you had a good excuse with a 42-foot boat. So now I've got to ask you. Uh, you got to tell us about that. What was your day like on the 42-foot boat? And was it really worth missing this podcast? Well, of course, nothing is worth missing this podcast. Um, <laughs> however, the boat owners are all from Columbus, Ohio. That's all I'm going to say. They have it down here. Uh, they keep it down here. And they hired a captain. And we went out uh, on the Gulf for a day, drove uh, a few miles at uh, a hell of a speed. It's got four engines on back. I think around 1,500 horse total, uh, sped up, had some nice lunch, went out and cruised around in the Gulf and in the intercoastal waterway. It, my friend, is was the perfect day. Of course, there were some adult beverages involved uh, for us, not for the captain, thank God. But uh, yeah, it was a great time. Well, it sounds like uh, you got a little rest and relaxation in. And and hopefully you've got this whole forty two foot boat thing out of your system, and now you're ready to <laughs> you're ready to talk about gun stuff again. Okay, I'm ready, brother. Well, let's dive right in. As usual, I want to talk about some articles you've written. And first up was one called "How to Fix the Damage Joe Biden Has Done to the Second Amendment," and you say that uh, this administration has done more harm to the Second Amendment than all previous administrations combined. And you give, if I've counted correctly, 10 suggestions. And first up, you suggested that we fire ATF Director Steve Donaldback, who is also from Ohio. 
So why don't you talk about that? Why should we fire the ATF director? Well, like most good stories, the origin of this one uh, happened with some friends drinking bourbon. And we were, of course, commiserating about the Biden-Harris administration and everything they've done to harm our culture, our lifestyle, our civil rights. And uh, we started coming up with examples as the bourbon was kicking. It was Blanton's, by the way, for the bourbon aficionados out there. Okay. Uh, and we were drinking it neat, of course. And we, we just started talking about everything that we'll have to do once Biden is gone from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And and uh, it's going to take a lot of work. And yeah, Dettelbach, uh, who remember, he was Joe Biden's second choice to run ATF after we gave David Chipman the heave-ho. Uh, during Dettelbach's Senate confirmation hearings, he lied under oath. He said he would never use the power of his position ever to, to advocate for more anti-gun laws. And uh, of course, he broke that promise. Now he's he's advocating for a quote unquote assault weapon ban, magazine ban, you name it. So can't trust him. He has been weaponized by Joe Biden. He is the point person for ATF and all of the civil rights abuse that that agency is committing on a daily basis, brother, he needs to go. So I'm going to skip down a little bit here in your list because you have some other stuff about the ATF. And one of the suggestions you have is to disarm and downsize the ATF. That's kind of two suggestions. You literally want to disarm them and uh, make the department smaller. So so talk about that. Yeah, they have some things that are uh good about the agency, very few. They can trace firearms better than anybody. And for real law enforcement, other than the ATF, that that's having been in law enforcement, that's important. You want to you be able to trace a firearm when it's recovered uh, at a crime scene. You want to know who had it, how they obtained it. That's a valid task for them. They don't need to carry weapons for this. If you get rid of their armed staff, that would eliminate most of what I like to call their non-essential personnel. I mean, they have 2,600 special agents out there. Do we really need all that? Most of the duties, most of the things they do are, are referred to them by real law enforcement agencies like local, uh, state, and then other federal agencies. And all ATF does is do some paperwork, get a, get a U.S. attorney involved, and usually charge somebody for being a felon in possession of a firearm. That is their number one charge. Well, all of that stuff occurs after the fact. Okay. After real police have made an arrest, these guys, they don't, you know, we have all kinds of supportive roles in law enforcement. There's pathologists, lab techs, evidence technicians, a lot of these folks that help law enforcement, real law enforcement, they're not armed. ATF doesn't need to carry weapons either. That would get rid of uh, 2,600 non-essential personnel. And then you also want to create a committee to investigate the ATF, I suppose, on all of the uh all of the charges they're they're laying on people. Is that right? Yeah, this is separate from the, the revocations that they're doing. But uh, the church committee was formed in 1975 uh, by Senator Frank Church to investigate abuses at CIA, NSA, FBI, and IRS. They found a massive amount of wrongdoing. A lot of wrongs were righted. We need this right now, this similar size, similar size, similar power empowered committee to investigate all of the crimes ATF has committed. And it has to be a Senate select committee so it can get to the truth. Uh, very easy to do. White House couldn't dodge it. Dettelbach and the folks at ATF couldn't dodge it. Law-abiding Americans deserve to know everything that they have done uh, in terms of their illegality and their civil rights abuse. And then another suggestion you have is to disband the White House Office of Gun Violence Prevention. And this is a little disturbing that they actually have an office set up in or associated with the White House. 
And I'm just wondering, because I've read that uh, Vice President Kamala Harris was put in charge of that. So, you know, if you have something non-serious that you're, <laughs> that you're wanting to run, you put Harris in charge of it. I'm wondering, is this really something that's going to cause us any issues or is this just a PR yeah, thing? I mean, the goals of this organization, which is funded by taxpayer dollars, are to ban, quote unquote, assault rifles, mag- standard capacity magazines. They want to institute laws that tell you where you where and how you have to store your firearms. They want universal background checks and they want to overturn the, the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, the PLCAA. Those are all huge civil rights violations, which we're paying for with our taxpayer dollars. This needs to go. I don't care who's running it. Yeah, Kamala's Kamala. I mean, it would take that woman 15 minutes to tell you that you are on fire, okay? Uh, she. I don't care who's running it. This place needs to go. The t- taxpayer dollars don't have to fund civil rights violations, which is what they're doing. Well, that brings us to another uh, point that you have here is you would like to audit anti-civil rights groups that receive taxpayer dollars. Yeah, we saw a lot of this with the after the COVID, the COVID money, and uh, Brady and Giffords just got millions of dollars. I'd like to see where that money has gone. I want to know how these groups used our taxpayer dollars and why they were funded to, again, violate our civil rights. We, we, we deserve to know how our money was spent. It also like a moratorium on FFL revocations, and you've written quite a bit about this. My impression is that really they're trying to put small gun sellers out of business. They are. Uh, we have a really good dealer here where I live in Sarasota, Florida. I would say he's mid-sized. He's not small. Uh, he's got a web presence. Probably got about 20 employees. They're not getting rich, but they're getting by. He has two full-time compliance officers. Two full-time employees plus him, so it's like three, three guys who do nothing but go over the paperwork that goes to ATF. There is that much fear about committing an honest error, a clerical error, and putting their FFL in jeopardy. Okay, that's stupid. That's silly. And that's and the, the small guys, the, the mom and pop, the kitchen table guys who can't afford to have two compliance officers – one or two clerical errors, and they're done. We've written about this, like I've said, ad nauseum. One guy, they went back to 2008, and they found clerical errors on him. And that's why they, they tried to revoke his FFL. 2008, Dean. This is, this is getting out of hand. The entire process needs to be put on hold until we can find out and fix this issue. And one of the final ones I'd like to talk about is uh, Probably the most straightforward one, rescind Biden's executive orders. Every time a new president comes in, one of the first things they do, at least yeah. in modern his- history, is they just basically do an executive order and undo all the previous executive orders. And he's uh, he's done quite a few of them. I mean, he has. Look at pistol braces. All of these executive orders uh, bring in and weaponized ATF. So you can call them executive orders. You can call them ATF rules and regulations. But every single one of them needs to be undone. They're being undone now on a pretty much regular basis by the courts. But he's issued 21 executive orders to, to, to combat, quote unquote, gun violence. All of those need to be overturned. This is actually the easiest step right here because the next administration, God forbid it's Biden, can handle this one in a in a matter of minutes. Well, that brings us to the big question. What do you, you think is going to happen? Do you think Biden's going to get back in there? Is it going to be Trump? Is it going to be somebody else? And if it's, if it's a Republican, are they actually going to do some of these things? I think it'll be a Republican, uh, without a doubt. I, I think Joe's on his last legs, uh, mentally, physically, politically. 
Um, look at his his approval rate. I mean, I think genital warts has a higher approval rate than our president does. Right now. <laughs> I'm not sure we can say genital warts on this podcast. <laughs> okay. uh, well, I, you let me know if you got to bleep me up. You we, have a, we have a PG rating. I'm not sure. I'd have to, I'd have to check with the censors <laughs> on that. So uh, anything else you'd like to add on your suggestions for undoing Biden's damage? Yeah, the biggest the biggest one for me is we've got to make these FFLs that have been put out of business whole. By the end of this month, we'll likely have seen 600 FFL revocations. Okay. Each one of those needs to be revocations and voluntary surrenders. And when I say that these FFLs are voluntarily surrendering their license, that's literally because ATF's got a pistol to their head damn near. So we're going to see 600 of those by in just a couple of days, probably for the whole year. Every one of these needs to be reexamined. And and the guys that have been put out of business or have been forced to surrender their, their license, they need to be made whole. Are you aware that there's any process for re-examining those revocations? There is. It's an appellate. Uh, it involves the courts, but it shouldn't have to. Okay. ATF screwed this up. ATF needs to fix this. The next administration needs to unweaponize, de-weaponize ATF and have them fix what they've done. Well, Lee, let's move on to uh, one of your favorite topics because you've been investigating this for quite a while, the Gun Violence Archive and what we can call its pretend data. You refer to them, the GVA, as the legacy media's favorite source of sensational, misleading, and inaccurate mass shooting data. Now, it, it seems like it wasn't that long ago that FBI data was all over the place. That was basically the gold standard Right. But I but I rarely see that anymore, Lee. It's all it's all gun violence archive. Why is that? What happened? Who are these guys? Well, there are a bunch of uh, stooges uh, led by a guy named Bryant who founded them uh, in 08, I believe. They they've they define mass shootings and they have the loosest definition you've you could ever encounter. Anytime four people are wounded, not killed by a firearm, they consider it a mass shooting. The FBI is a narrower de definition. The FBI won't call it a mass shooting if it involves gangs or drugs or gangs and drugs or it's domestic related. Um, GVA includes everything. That's why their numbers are so wacky. I mean, in 2019, they said there were 417 mass shootings. Now, think about that. CNN and Fox and MSLSD and all these other media outlets would be running themselves ragged going from one mass shooting to another. I mean, that's more than one a day. At least 417 in, 19, in 2019, FBI said there were 30 because they have an honest definition. Now, if you're an editor or a producer, which number are you going to want to use? Well, you want to use the most sensational number, and that's 417 because guns are bad to the media. A recent study that just came out found that there were 3% of journalists are, are Republicans. And having worked in five newspaper newsrooms, I can tell you, I don't need all the fingers on one hand to count the number of conservatives that I work with. And I don't need but three fingers to count the number of gun owners I actually work with. So the media has basically taken judicial, uh, uh, accepted that the fact that guns are bad and anything they want to do uh, in terms of going anti-gun in a story is fine. The FBI's definition, if I remember correctly, is four people killed Right. That right. can constitute a, a mass shooting. And then with the GVA, it's four people just shot, uh, even if they all survive. Even if it's just a, a little boo-boo, that includes a, a mass shooting now. And so, we, you know, we do see these numbers going really way up. 
Now, so what's the what's the point of this, and and why are they tracking mass shootings specifically? That seems to be the number that I see most quoted from them. They actually track a lot of numbers, but it's the yeah. mass shooting numbers that you always see quoted. Well, they have a lot of uh, they track a lot of data. The thing is, you can't believe any of it because there's about twenty dudes. They all work remotely. They're getting their information from social media, from the media, from law enforcement social media. And let me tell you, it's all skewed and it's all anti-gun. The bottom line is they are anti-gun. They like to claim that they're not, that they're anti-violence. But we we did a deep dive on Mark Bryan, their 68-year-old owner and founder. And, and we found some stuff he has written, uh, calling for magazine bans. Um, he, it's definitely an, an anti-gun organization. They want to make guns look bad. So you can't trust anything they do. They've got a huge dog in this fight. The good news is the fact that this uh, Bloomberg did a story on him. They're trying to buttress him. I think they're falling out of some favor. Bloomberg Business Week. Uh, well, you know, Bloomberg Business Week is owned by Tiny Mike Bloomberg, former New York City mayor, billionaire, guy who spent more money uh, waging his war against our guns than anybody in the country. Um, they wanted to buttress this organization because they had one, uh, one donor and their owner, Mark Bryan, is looking to retire. So hopefully they won't be a concern in the coming years. Well, who is the one donor? Name is Michael Klein. He's a billionaire. He's 81 years old, and he runs some kind of real estate information company. Um, they're trying to figure out how they can get additional donors. Uh, but right now, uh, I mean, the dude's 81. Uh, we'll see what happens. So, uh, you know, they, they changed the definition of mass shooting to to pump up the numbers. I mean, that was just... Right. That was just a, a pure, you know, PR kind of a move. Could you see them doing it again so that, and I'm I'm not I'm not just joking here, uh, so that the, maybe a mass shooting would just be shooting at four people, or shooting where near where four people are gathered. I mean, could they change the definition again so that they could claim thousands of mass shootings a year? Oh, I'm sure if they if if they think about it, they will. I mean, you know what a mass shooting is. Your your listeners know what a mass shooting is. It involves a school, a shopping mall. It's some guy walking through there, some crazed psychotic maniac randomly shooting people. Okay, it's not two gang members in St. Louis or Chicago shooting it out over turf or a business disagreement. Okay, but that's what they want it to be because that gives them the higher numbers. Well, and that's what scares people, just like the focus on right. ARs. ARs scare people because I'm not sure what percentage of the population owns those, but, you know, more than half of households have handguns. They're not really afraid of handguns. They're not really afraid of the stories where you have the gangbangers and the drug dealers and all that shooting each other because that's just a kind of a common story. They go, they, they cover these stories that they think are sexy and that yeah. scare people, and it's pure PR. They pretty much ignore all the everyday murders, which constitute the vast majority of murders, right? Right. I mean, and if you ha if you look at the 2019 FBI data on, mass on, on murders uh, with firearms, you'll see that less than 3% involve the weapons that they would like to man. The vast majority are using handguns. And what kind of handguns? Stolen handguns. That's the kind these criminals get. They buy them from other criminals on the black market if they don't steal them themselves. They don't involve these, these type of uh, ARs or AKs. One, they can't conceal them. 
You know, they want something they can put in their pocket. Uh, now, now, I'm go- I'm going to correct you on this because I just saw a story yesterday where a guy was picked up. He had a rifle in his pants. Okay. I, and I've joked. I've made jokes about that. But there literally was a guy they picked up, and he had a rifle in his pants. So we cannot say, uh, Lee, that, that rifles are not <laughs> concealable if you get the right kind of pants, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Big and bulky. So, yeah, I mean, I've reported on, you know, looking at uh, FBI stats that more people are murdered just by, you know, hands, fists, and feet than throw by hammers in ARs. There right. blow, throw hammers in there and blunt objects, and yeah, by right. far. So this uh, good news that you're reporting that, uh, you know, they might be falling on hard times financially. You might be looking for a replacement I'm just wondering, is this really good news? Is is it possible that they're actually going to close up shop? Or could a group like Everytown or some other gun control group just take it over? Yeah, they could very easily. I mean, all of the people that work for Gun Violence Archive are working remotely. There's really no shop to close. But uh, I think as long as we keep letting people know what kind of group they are and that their data is pretend data, that that's that's the biggest thing we can do right now as people who actually respect and venerate our God-given Second Amendment rights. And the media really like this data, which brings us to another article that you wrote. And it's uh, you give various examples of how the media gaslights Americans on gun violence. And we see this, you know, we see this all the time. And you and I have both worked in the news business and it's really the nature of that business. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. Horror stories, right? they get reads, they get clicks, it sells advertising. But I'm kind of wondering, there's this other angle to it that might really be propaganda because sometimes, no, I don't think that all journalists are like this, but sometimes maybe they know what they're doing and they are engaged in propaganda. What do you think? I agree, 100%. Uh, They are engaged in propaganda. They believe guns are bad. They hate the Second Amendment. They're always trying to redefine it. Okay, they'll come up with some weird definition on how it doesn't pertain to an individual or how only the militia should have guns. I I love the redefiners. I think they're funny as hell. But yeah, I would say, and and the Trace, which is, again, Bloomberg's uh, propaganda arm, They some of the examples they cited in their best of of two of 2023 are pure propaganda and and editorializing and opinion appearing in news stories because the, these are the, the people that are writing these are not like journalists used to be they're not there to inform they, they're kids they want to be advocates they want to advocate for a cause they want to be a brand they don't want to inform people they want to sway people's opinions and if you look at some of the language that some of these people have used I mean, Rolling Stone did a story that it, it, it's just a head scratcher. They called, um, they based it on the Lewiston uh, mass shooting, and they accused the gun industry of, I'm quoting here, pushing tens of millions of massacre ready weapons. That's how they defined ARs and AR 10s. Massacre ready weapons. Tell me that's not editorializing. Tell me that's not an attempt to sway public opinion. Massacre ready, and that's a new story. Now, let me just say this. Anytime anybody uh, thinks of Rolling Stone and investigative reporting, you need to look at their Rape on Campus series, which they did. They accused a college fraternity of a gang rape. And Columbia University said it was a journalistic failure at every level. 
Pointer, which is here in Florida. It's a journalism think tank, very lefty. They said it was one of their errors of the year. That's what Rolling Stone's investigative pedigree is. So anytime you see Rolling Stone in investigative reporting, think back about those poor frat boys who were accused of gang rape by Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah, and they're they're really blaming the industry and not just saying it's your fault. They're saying you're doing it on purpose. Uh, that that the whole like your whole market yeah. for these ARs are mass murders. That's the only reason you're in business. You're specifically advertising these weapons in a way that appeals to mass shooters. Yeah, I mean Bloomberg News. They had the craziest article I've ever seen. They literally blamed Sig Sauer for a mass murder at a nursery school in rural Northeast Thailand. Okay, I, I've got to read uh, an excerpt from the story that Bloomberg News did. And I quote, the killer's gun, a Sig Sauer P365, touted by the company is small enough to easily conceal, yet able to hold 13 rounds, had traveled more than 8,000 miles from a factory on New Hampshire's rocky seacoast to Thailand's lush Nongwa Lamphu province. It was part of a growing number of semi-automatic handguns and rifles exported by American gun makers and linked to violent crimes. So Sig Sauer, who, by the way, is making pretty much everything now for the U.S. military, handguns, rifles included, and, and light machine guns, is responsible for 32, 36 Thai murders. I mean, just think about that. And and the and the gun traveled. It didn't say that yes. it was trafficked. Or, right. or stolen, or uh, it bought a ticket. It got on right. an airplane. The gun and it traveled to Thailand. The gun traveled, right? Yes. So the New York Times, and this was a story that I read. I saw your reporting on it, but I actually I have a subscription to the Times, and I read this about the Lake City Army Ammunition Plant. They right. make ammunition for the military, but also for civilians and law enforcement. And I was trying to figure out when I was reading this story, what is this story about? In fact, I left a comment. If you look up that story, you'll see a comment by me. And it's basically, what's the story here? I don't understand. They're manufacturing ammunition. And the military uses some of the ammunition. Civilians use some of the ammunition. So what? And I could not figure out what the story really was. It's as if the writer just discovered that, oh, my God, there are businesses that manufacture ammunition. Well, here's what they're what they're trying to infer. Mass shootings are, of course, they're not the fault, just the fault of the, the mass shooter. They're the gun's fault. But now they're also the, the fault of the ammunition manufacturer. He, they bear responsibility as well, this New York Times story would have you believe, which is crazy. Okay. And and they called they, they called the ammunition, if I remember correctly, military grade ammunition. So right. it's obviously a lot more deadly than just you know, regular ammunition. Well, I hear military grade, having been a veteran, and then I look at what's in my gun safe. I would never call my my uh, defensive weaponry, my ARs and my pistols, military grade. They're a whole hell of a lot better than military grade, especially my staccato. <laughs> you really do like that staccato. I do. I'm, I'm a, I'm a stic- member, proud member of the staccato owner's cult. Well, the Washington Post had a story too, and uh, they were blaming ARs for mass shootings. And this was... Uh, like a photo story, they had all of these pictures, right? They had all of these stories of uh, of murder victims. Now, you know, I've seen some pretty graphic pictures, and it doesn't matter how you're killed. 
they, they all look bad, you know, whether they're ARs or anything else, but they were trying to give the impression that, you know, look at what ARs do. This is specifically nasty. Yeah, uh, incredibly nasty because, you know, it's such a high-powered well, I guess it really isn't. It's kind of an intermediate uh, varmint around. <laughs> but no, no, no. For them, it was, that's a high-powered, causes massive carnage. Not only have I seen a lot of crime scene photos, I've taken a lot of crime scene photos when I was a police officer, thousands of them. None of them are pretty. They're very sensational. Okay, you've got bodies that have been ended violently. Uh, the worst ones I've ever seen or ever taken involve knives, not guns. Uh, much more uh, horrific. I see a lot of them when I close my eyes. And, and then as a journalist, we always had what we called the Cheerios test, okay? You're not going to put a photo on the cover in a, in a newspaper that somebody's going to look at while they're having breakfast and then throw up their Cheerios, right? Because that's not what we do to our readers. You don't want anything overly sensational. And this whole story was overly sensational. This whole incredible photo essay. I have a lot of friends who are photojournalists, award-winning photojournalists, even very left photojournalists. And they were all shaking their heads that the, the Post did this. This is way beyond what we do, uh, what they do as journalists. These are photos that should never have seen the light of day. Well, I'll tell you that um, I subscribe to the, to the Journal and I subscribe to the Times. There's some pretty good reporting in both. Yep. But the Post, I had to cancel it. The post is pure garbage. It is. Uh, they're, they're, they, they're, there's not a lot of great reporting that comes out of that. They're incredibly political. You were talking about photographs. We had Masad Ayub come in and do a seminar for us, and he had photos to show us. And one of the worst that I saw was a, a photo of a man who had been attacked with a knife, and his arm, his forearm, was basically just butterflied. It was just opened up. It was one of the most horrendous things I ever saw. You know, bullet wounds tend to be just a little, a little hole. You know, there yeah. might there might be blood, but but it's those uh, those knife photos that are really nasty. He also had one of a a man who had been attacked with a hammer, which was one of the most unsettling photos I have ever seen. This poor guy's head looked like play doh after he had been repeatedly hit in the head, just with an ordinary. You know, construction hammer like all of us have in our garage. I, I got to tell you that, although it sounds a little strange, I am more afraid of hammers and knives than I am of guns. Yeah, I mean, uh, there uh, there are horrific ways that the humans have invented over the years to take people out. Uh, bullet wounds, the ones I've seen, usually they're small going in, they're large coming out, depending on the on the type of ammunition and the firearm that was used. But when somebody's using uh, uh, a leg off a piano stool and nearly decapitating someone or uh, a cast iron skillet full of burning hot oil and lye, and then throwing that onto someone. Uh, it, they're a lot more horrific than they, than any gunshot wound would ever be. Or just being but, run over. Uh, I mean, the, you know, there, there was that um, story a while back where a guy drove um, a truck or a car up onto a sidewalk and just ran people down. And if you got to think about the space that's underneath a car and if you get knocked down and you're dragged under the car, and your body is is rolling under that car with all that metal down there, just just tearing you to shreds. That's one of the most nasty ways to die, just with ordinary cars. So I, I'm with you. I don't know what the point of that was, other than just to freak people out. And well, to, the thing the thing that bugged me the most. Think about the families, the victims' families involved in these in these killings. 
and and what they thought of seeing the scene where their loved ones were murdered. Okay, that that to me is just that alone right there. I don't care about the Cheerios test. That's why those photos never should have run out of concern for the victims' families, and that that concern the the Washington Post they abrogated, they blew it. Is there uh, like a media ethics? guidebook or something that says that you don't do stuff like that because it would seem to me that a, a good editor would say no 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 this this crosses the line because i mean uh if, if i watch local news for example and there's a murder they they never show the details yeah. they'll blur it out or they'll just they'll describe it but they won't actually show it well the post ran a sidebar which is a companion story to this photo essay in which some of their editors tried to justify why they use these overly sensational and extremely graphic photos. And basically they said, well, the AR and how bad the AR is, that made them do it because they wanted to be able to show the public the destructive power or the extent of the trauma inflicted on victims by the AR. So basically they, the AR made them do it, they claimed. I I, I think that's crap um, uh, and it should never have happened. I mean, my God, man, I'm... You had 11 mass murders uh, involving a lot of people, involving a lot of victims' families. Can you imagine what those victims' families thought when they saw this? So so the AR made the murderer commit the murders. The AR made right. the journalists show the photos of the murders. That These ARs, you know, we need to really take a look at them. They're magical. Yeah. I've never seen the media blame an inanimate object for uh, crimes more than in these stories contained in this story that we wrote about. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like they have a mind of their own and the reporters certainly don't have a mind of their own. Yeah. They're, they're magical. Well, uh, Lee, what are your takeaways from all of this? It, you know, they, they seem to be passing off opinion as fact. Yeah. making number sens- one sensation, um, sensational claims. Overly sensational. Don't buy it. We, and and I know you and I have talked about this before, we need to be smart news consumers. And by we, I mean the gun community, for lack of a better word. You see something like this. You read something like this. Send an email. Call the editor. Call the producer. Don't patronize their sponsors. Uh, We can't take this kind of crap lying down. I looked at all of these stories, and they were all released toward the end of the year, which is award season for journalists. Okay, November, December are the two biggest months. That's when you're going to see most of the investigative reporting, because uh, trust me, I I can't tell you how many awards I've actually won. And I'm not bragging, Dean. I'm just telling you when I was a journalist, like state, local, regional, national awards. Journalism industry is incredibly self-congratulatory. And if you're an editor or producer, your career advances or declines based upon the number of awards you can bring home. And I've worked at two Pulitzer Prize winning newspapers, and I've been nominated for five Pulitzers, always been the bridesmaid, never been the bride, unfortunately. So, yeah, it's all about the awards. And these were all clearly written as their contest entries for that year, which is sad, especially from the Post point of view. They would rather trade their ethics and harm these victims' family members, probably forever, probably permanently, just so they can win some awards. A lot of this is just self-advancement. They want to stand yep. out, uh, and, and this is one way to do it. The more outrageous you can be, the more you're going to stand out. Yeah, and I've never seen anything like that post story. I've never seen anything more outrageous in my life. Well, Lee, this is some great reporting. We Thank publish you. we publish some of your stories on BuckeyeFirems.org, but where can people read all of your original reporting? A couple places. They can go to my personal website, which is The Gun Writer. 
www.substack.com, or they can go to a website that I uh, co uh, co own with uh, Mark Walters from Armed American Radio, thearmedamericannews.com, or go to SAF, go to Second Amendment Foundation, saf.org. Everything I do is is also there. I appreciate all of that, and I recommend your reporting. I think it's uh, it's really informative, and you really take the time to to do a lot of legwork on those. Lee, thanks for avoiding those 42-foot boats this week. <laughs> Happy New Year. We'll talk and to you to again you soon. Yours. Go Buckeyes, huh? <laughs> all right. Bye-bye. We'll see you. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.